windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, a game winner, got it! Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another They got him, if he catches it, it's over, ball game! Touchdown, Jawan Stinson! 25 yards! J.J. German for the win! He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend! What's your name, man? You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick, talking a lot about ETSU, LSU, that game going on tonight, 7 o'clock, 6.30 airtime. In Baton Rouge, we'll talk about that. We'll hear comments from head coach T. Forbes and from Will Wade, both respected head coaches in the matchup. We'll talk about uh, fail downs. And a little fail bit later downs. on. Oh, you love fail downs. A little bit later, Patrick Good. We'll talk to him, catch up with uh, Pat on several subjects. Uh, and the first thing I want to talk about was not just a crazy Fargo trip, but coming back and then preparing for finals, getting that done and then focusing on basketball here for a while. So we're going to talk to uh, Pat as well. I'll do that after shoot-around today just because of the timing of everything. And that'll mean nothing to everyone uh, out in the Twitter world or uh, Facebook or SoundCloud or iTunes. They'll just know it'll be out at some point in time. Right, Mike? Yeah, I think we're going to do these three segments and then just a little, like, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock Eastern drop of that Patrick Good conversation with yourself. And I always like talking to Pat. Good Times with Pat is the segment that we like to call it, or he kind of chose for it, as a matter of fact. Gave him, like, three or four options last year. He said, Good Times with Pat. I think that's perfect. I think it fits well. It's obviously a great play in his name, um, and hopefully he has a big game tonight as the Bucks need all the help that they can get, I think, from anyone that will have a big game against a very athletic, powerful, strong LSU team that puts up a lot of points that being said if he doesn't have a good night there's a lot of players there to pick him up where uh, if one or two guys do have an off evening it's still possible I think to be able to pull this kind of upset and we're going to talk I think a ton about that today as is customary and I think as is fitting for a game this big Jay. Yeah, I think we should, and I think it, it's going to get its due as it uh, you would imagine we'd want to give it its due. And it'll be a, a televised game on SEC Network, and I know that's uh, different from the ESPNs. And some most people in the area, if they have any so, uh, sort of cable or satellite package or anything like that, the SEC Network is included. If you do have ESPN3 or ESPN+, Plus, I believe SEC Network's included in that. So this uh, shouldn't be any excuse not to catch the game. You can also go down to Wild Wing Cafe. That will be showing the game live as a watch party. And by the way, let me just intervene here. Can you hear the Christmas music blaring right now? Is that even coming through? I can hear it very slightly. I don't think with us talking, people are going to be able to hear it. If they can oh, turn it up, I think it would be a great soundtrack yeah, for this entire it, it, show. It's an unbelievable added ambiance to the show for me uh, as I'm right beside two Christmas. They don't have one Christmas tree. They got two back-to-back, and I'm in what's called the Founders Room. And basically we're staying at the Watermark, which is the original Louisiana vault and the bank that used to be. So very interesting setup, uh, to say the least, because they have stuff from the 20s, and they've got the still where the old vault is. Our room didn't have windows. uh, Really? At at least the the floor – some of the second floor doesn't have windows. We didn't have windows, so it was the best sleep I've had in a long time because sure. it was so dark. It was unbelievable. Uh, but it, it it's also a little uh, pressing because we have a live studio audience. As I've got Chris Forbes staring at me the whole entire thing here, <laughs> so it's a little. I mean, whether he wants to be a part of the show or not. So I've got a live studio audience. You know, we we usually do it unless they're a guest. We don't have anybody looking at us, so that's going to be confusing from this point forward. But the good news is, if I say anything wrong, he can flag me down and point something out. Yeah, so. good luck performing under pressure. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm so good at that, correct? Well, let's just get to the show. How about that? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> All right, let's talk a little ETSU-LSU. As predicted, uh, I thought ETSU would come out against Milligan with a little bit of vigor, if you will, and as Coach Forbes was just very upset on the defensive end. I think they had some spirited, is a nice word, uh, practices and maybe some overtures thrown out that if they didn't come out and play 40 minutes of defense, that the 20-hour rule, rule is now not in effect because the kids are not in school. 
that they would be practicing for 20 of the 24 hours uh, or something to that effect. Mm. I'm sure that wasn't exactly New 20 right. New 20-hour rule, right. So, yeah, that's correct. The 20-hour day rule now comes right. into play. So, um, good news for the team. And, Mike, you were there firsthand. But the defense did, other than maybe uh, a possession here or there, and they try, I think they tried zone for a minute or two. Uh, at the request of Tony Green, one of the referees was like, Coach, would you please play zone for a minute? <laughs> and I guess they gave up a basket. He looked at Tony and said, that's enough zone. <laughs> he went back out. So I, f- I found that amusing as uh, sometimes some of the conversations they get going in an airport when you're in layovers, and, and that's we got into that conversation because I asked him how Tony Green got in the game, and that led to some other things. And he said, hey, how about he told me I needed to play zone? I was like, all right, Tony, I like you. I'll play zone. And then didn't work out, went back to man-to-man. But no shock, the defense uh, for ETSU able to get uh, some things better and they're going to need to Mike because one of the most impressive things about LSU is they're second in the nation uh, from two-point land so Mm. not particularly a great three-point shooting team but if you take those numbers out and just go two-point range they are second in the country very efficient and as a team likes to press and create off turnovers you would imagine they finish around the rim a lot. Yeah, and Darius Day is, is really the one that does a lot of that. Uh, you look at his numbers this year, and his best work is inside the arc. He's 14 of 41 from three, but he's 32 of 40 from two. I mean, that's just absurd. 80% from two, it would almost make you lead yourself to say, Darius, why are you shooting so many threes? Like, just go inside the arc if you're shooting 80% and keep that high percentage uh, that you have from inside deep and, and just continue to do what you do uh, from 20 feet and in. But uh, really, from all over the floor, they're impressive. You know, they're 15th in the nation in scoring margin, 5th in the nation in field goal percentage from wherever on the floor, and 6th in the nation in scoring. So, to me, this actually profiles a lot like the Kansas game. They don't take a lot of threes, and when they do, they're not particularly good um, at shooting those threes. High percentage from the floor, adept offensively, just like Kansas. A couple of top ten scoring teams in the country. They are, though, a better rebounding team than Kansas. They're 13th in the nation in rebounding margin, but LSU doesn't have that big, giant Udoka Azabuke that Kansas does, who, by the way, if you're wondering how he's done since ETSU, he's shooting 83% from the floor this year, (laughs) 83%, and he's taken enough field goal attempts to be able to qualify for the leaderboard, so he's above everyone else by like 11% um, in the country in field goal percentage. So they don't have the Azubuke, but they're a better rebounding team as a whole. Um, Obviously, they're going to be a team that um, puts up a lot of points on a night-in, night-out basis. So uh, compared to Milligan, while that was a very solid defensive performance, uh, I'd say that there will be a bit more of a test on the defensive side of the ball and really show how far ETSU has come from that NDSU game where Steve Forbes was very unhappy with the defensive performance. Yeah, just a couple of guys with uh, double-digit three-pointers made. Uh, Darius Days, you mentioned. The other one is Skylar Mays. So the Mays and Days show uh, are two guys. But, again, Mays is shooting 55% from two. Darius is shooting close to 60%. And, of course, you take those numbers out, all those go higher because uh, of the low shooting numbers from three. The other thing I think is going to be interesting for LSU is there to be a team that wants to press, play up-tempo and all that, that are – Starting five, all average double figures, but they seem to not be particularly deep uh, in the minutes played, opportunities for guys to get a look to score. Now, that can change a little bit today, and I'm expecting to see for the first time this season Marlon Taylor, who was an integral part of the team a year ago, had offseason surgery, um, will be dressing as listed as probable. Uh, so whatever that is, there's no actual distinction in the NFL. That would be a 75% chance of him playing this isn't obviously the nfl and there's no distinction of what percentage that is it's just as it's probable he should go today and how much will he play he's a six foot five wing man that's very long as uh will wade chaka smart all those guys from that sort of era of the vcu group and the havoc or whatever else they want to call those things they basically want to get the length uh and that's the thing like they want to get six five six, seven guys that have a longer wingspan, so when they press and trap and do all that, sort of same thing Jim Beheim does. He just does it from a zone as opposed to the uh, up-tempo pressing uh, pressure defense that LSU would like to do. So getting Taylor back, be curious to see, A, how much they try to work him in, what's the rust level, and will that add a little bit of extra energy to LSU today uh, because of that? also suspect that Joe Burrow is going to be in town to celebrate his Heisman Trophy, so how does that affect people as well? Well, and I looked back at the stats last year for Marlon Taylor. I wasn't 
particularly impressed in terms of his scoring, but then you look at what is gone from this program from last year, and anytime you've got a top 25 or at least right in the neighborhood of a top 25 team, an SEC squad, you're going to have those big athletes that are going to draw a lot of attention from NBA teams. If you remember, Nas Reed was on this team last year. He leaves after his freshman year, was picked up by the Minnesota Timberwolves after going undrafted. So he was a one-and-done, went undrafted. Then Tremont Waters, uh, he was drafted in the second round by the Celtics uh, after coming out. Um, and then you also had Daryl Edwards, Cavell Bigby-Williams, Will Reese, and Wayne Sims all gone from the team. It really Sims, Reese, Edwards, they didn't contribute a whole lot. But Waters and Reed were the top scorers on that team last year, and Bigby-Williams was the leading shot blocker. I mean, he was also the fifth leading scorer. So you start to check guys off the list as you go down. Waters, Reed, uh, and then Bigby Williams were three or top five scorers. So that leaves you with Mays, Smart, Emmett Williams, and then Marlon Taylor. So the fourth leading scorer and a guy that started 24 games last year. So you look at it that way. While last year maybe he didn't bring a ton in terms of elite level scoring, um, while he did shoot a pretty high percent from the floor, wasn't a great three-point shooter, shot 25%, you know, got to the line a decent amount, and contributed some things outside of just scoring. So there were some positives for him, but... Uh, you really look at the roster last year compared to this year and you say, okay, well, now I understand why Taylor is someone that will be relied upon a bit more when available. And we'll hear from Coach Wade on this in a second, but while Taylor's expected to be back, he's also expected to be on a minutes restriction. So he's not going to play the 23 minutes a game that he did last year. He's not going to play 23 tonight. It sounds like he's going to be 10 to 15 minutes and Coach Wade answered questions in a press conference earlier this week on where those minutes were going to come from. And I think you've mentioned it a couple of times. It isn't a particularly deep team. It doesn't appear in general. But Tremont Waters, um, you know, last year put up 32 minutes. Skylar Mays put up 33 minutes. And he said this year, you know, with the Mays uh, and the, uh, you know, the other top guards that they have, uh, perhaps a Javante Smart, um, you know, those are the guys that are going to see their minutes actually tick down a few. So it sounds like they're going to borrow minutes from the Mays and the Smarts of the world and get him, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes from Mays instead of having to play 37 or 38. Smart having to play 34 or 35, that's where those minutes are going to come from. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you're sitting there, you're rolling guys, and you take two minutes from three guards, that's an extra – and let's say it's each, each half. So you're only taking four minutes away, so 37 turns to 33, maybe 32 to 28. Right. And the style they want to play, right, you need fresh legs. I mean, I, I think that's something that no matter how – great a shape you are i think a, a breather for when you're trying to give max effort like that is something that uh can only make a team stronger and the other thing i think about taylor playing besides maybe taking some minutes away from the guards and kind of getting some extra life in the legs especially for a long season is the fact that taylor's a senior right there's just a couple of them Skylar mays and taylor i believe are the only two seniors uh, that see action i think there's a couple guys that are walk-ons that are listed but for the 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 10 players and, and taylor being the 11th that may see the floor out of those guys, I mean, you're talking about two seniors, a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, one junior mixed in there yeah. as well. But it's still a young team. So getting Taylor, a guy that would have played, you know, say, I don't know, 60 to 80 conference games in the SEC, uh, you know, I think can only help a squad when you come back, if nothing else. So I think it'll be important for LSU to get him back. What effect does he have on the game the the big thing i'm concerned about is just the energy lift right we we don't have a guy even if it's not a marquee player but you have a guy that that you know who's been a teammate been there for a while the fans if he comes off an injury you know i'm, I'm expecting a nice ovation for him to get going and then if he makes a play early man what that can do for a jolt in the arm for a team especially if their lsu's already sort of playing from ahead what that could do could bury a team or if ETSU happens to be up at that point in time, and then all of a sudden, boom, that gives an extra drill. So I, it's almost twofold. How LSU's not been great at starting games, so I'll be curious to see how ETSU starts the game. The other thing is I'm wondering just the emotion of Taylor being out there, will that change anything? No doubt. I mean, you add him to Skylar Mays, Javante Smart, Emmett Williams, and then you have Taylor. You know, Mays, Smart, and Williams are all averaging in double figures. The two others, you talked about five scorers that are in uh, double figures. Darius Days, we've talked about last year, he was kind of a 15-minute-per-game sub, 
and he's raised his field goal percentage 11% from last year. Then Trendon Watford, if you pay attention to the recruiting scene, that'll be a recognizable name. Top 20 recruit across the board, really any outlet you looked at, 6'9", 235 as a freshman. Watford's kind of picked up where Bigby Williams and Nas Reed left off as that high percentage inside threat. And Days, as we talked about, likes to shoot those threes like Waters did last year, though his best work comes inside. I'm very interested to see how Lucas Goussaint and Jeromey Rodriguez play in this game because as we've mentioned, you're going to have the size and the athletes at these SEC schools or schools like Kansas that ETSU's already faced. You know, last year, Waters was 5'11". He was the shortest on the team. And this year, with him gone, no one's under 6'2", but no one's over 6'9". So this, to me, is a game in which Jerome, instead of having to down low contend with such a space eater like Udoka Azabuke, yeah, they're going to have some length. You know, they're, they're going to have guys with big win- wingspans and such, but... He, I think, at six foot seven and being strong as he is, and you know, someone that had ten rebounds against Kansas, you know, maybe didn't have that offensive impact. If he can get going offensively down low and going against some of those players that, yeah, they are six foot eight, six foot nine, but aren't dwarfing him like Udoka Azabuke, uh, and even if Jerome wasn't guarded by Azabuke at times during that game, you know, with his length, that's just going to disrupt every shot inside. I'm not sure LSU has a player that specifically will do that like an Azabuke who probably is the best in the country at just being there and being large right can do that where Lucas Goussaint you know plus three inches on everybody else and so he's going to have a head and shoulders advantage literally above everyone else and remember he had 11 points and seven rebounds one of his better games of the year against Kansas so for me this is a big opportunity for the Bucks to get those bigs on that big stage some touches down low for Lucas Goussaint to do some things he did against Kansas and has shown at times this year he can do having an impact offensively and for especially Jerome you know I think Jerome in some of these bigger games against bigger teams and bigger length and things such as that. He's not necessarily your mega athlete that's going to go up and um, out-rebound everybody just based off pure natural ability. I think he's a very very savvy uh, rebounder uh, and someone that will bowl a lot of guys in a conference like the Southern Conference down low for his points. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be able to bowl anyone today, but he's also not going to have to have guys that are five or six inches taller than him contesting every shot. Yeah, and I think that's important, too, being able to get the shot off. I, th- I think, you know, these are games where Goussaint and Rodriguez tend to play a little better against traditional-style teams, really Goussaint maybe more than Rodriguez. So I, I agree. I think he's one of the guys I would focus on paying attention. How does Lucas Goussaint uh, play in the middle? And generally, ETSU, when they play well against Power 5 teams, it's because generally the athletes are able to just – do things that the SEC teams or ACC teams aren't quite used to seeing. The problem is when you play in LSU, you play VCU, you play Texas, and anybody else that's in that shock of smart sort of coaching tree, generally they're going to be the most athletic team. So I'm curious to see that because usually ETSU, uh, and and athletics all relative, right? I mean, clearly when you play Kansas, they've got top 10, top 15 guys at their position and and whatever, but there's just different things that they do at the position that usually ETSU can do to create problems, like they did against Pittsburgh in the NCAA tournament, like Mr. Nose Gas did against Oklahoma. It's just a different type of athlete. But LSU is going to have um, probably the best athletes on the floor, and they're going to have some advantage because of reach advantage. Because even though they're listed usually at you know six seven six eight six nine, the usually they're going to the wingspan yeah. is going to create a little bit of an issue, but I still think it's going to be important for Lucas Cassan. The other thing's rebounding. I think it's very important that ETSU be able to try to hold their own on the glass because that's something that LSU uses their wingspan for and their quickness because they're outsized in a lot of matchups is be able to not really burrow through contact and sort of shove their guy underneath the basket to get a rebound, but try to slip and slide around guys to go get the rebound. And so it would be important for ETSU to stick to rebounding principles. I know that that's what they've been working on a little bit is making sure, like, hey, you've got to body these guys out, and you've got to make sure, like, they're not looking to create contact and then work away from you. They're looking to jab, step, and go the other way. And by the time you recognize they've went the other way, you've missed them, and they've got in front of you, got a rebound and a putback. Yeah, and it's something Coach Forbes is going to talk about in a second, but Williams and Days are the leading rebounders for this team at eight per game, and LSU is nearly plus 10 this year on the boards, while ETSU doesn't come across many teams that are going to be more prolific rebounding stat-wise than them. LSU is one of them this year, and I know it's going to be one of Coach Forbes' keys to the game after we take a break. 
Step aside for a timeout. We'll hear from both head coaches in tonight's game between ETSU and LSU. Right after this timeout, your warm center sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and the sidekick back with you. Segment two, we'll hear from head coach Steve Forbes and Will Wade, the respective head basketball coaches for tonight's game. ETSU and Baton Rouge to take on LSU. 7 o'clock tip time, 6.30 pregame show here on the Buccaneers Sports Network. They got a really nice team. They started the season in the top 25. They lost a tough game to Utah State that was in the top 25, and, and they lost to VCU on their home court. So they've got a couple tough losses uh, to good teams. I voted for them actually today. I think it's 25, I believe, where I had them in the in the poll. But they're very talented. They're deep. They're actually going to get one of their players back for our game that hasn't played this year. Marlon Taylor might be one of the best athletes in the country. But they have uh, Skylar Mays, who's a tremendous guard, an NBA-level guard. Javante Smart, NBA-type guard. Uh, Emmett Williams inside. You're right, very big, very athletic. Plays a style of play that presses, you know, different pressing after made free throws, after made shots, play some 1-3-1. We have to be ready for all those things and play through pressure. But I think it's a game we can definitely go down there and get if we play right. I 100% agree. I look at their schedule, LSU, and I just want to put a hypothetical out there to you. Say they won the VCU and the Utah State games by two rather than losing them by two. They'd be 9-0. and Where do you put them in the rankings? Coach Forbes just said he put them 25 in this week's poll. I'd say that he's probably one of the more optimistic ones on LSU and it makes sense because um, you look where they are in the receiving votes category. Clearly they weren't voted 25 by everyone. So I'm not really assuming I'm just seeing them, you know, where they're at like 35 to 38 or wherever they are in the two polls. seems like coach Forbes is a bit more optimistic on them. And I think I would be too, because those two losses were very tight against two very solid programs and easily could have gone either way. Yeah. And I think when you look at it, there's only, I think five teams left that are undefeating college basketball. Four now, period. because Ohio Four. State lost, yeah. Oh, that's right, four. So just that alone, uh, and being an SEC school, it, it's different than Liberty, right, being an Atlantic Sun right. being undefeated, that it, it's going to get LSU a lot more credit. So my guess they would have been uh, – I don't think they would have did a Michigan jump where they came out of nowhere to go to four, but I think they could have been in the top 25 and climbed their way to knocking on the door of top ten if they were 9-0, and uh, and some of that's the rest of the schedule, right? I mean, I don't know that they've knocked off any great teams. They've played good teams. I don't think they've knocked off a great team, but I think they would have been a top-10 team if those two were close to it. If not, if those two victories go the other way, and both those would have been good wins because VCU obviously uh, gets a lot of credit, and so does Utah State, who was already in the top 25 when they played. So I think certainly those things would have helped. So I think that's where they would have been if, if you're asking me, if they are 9-0, and oh, I think the most impressive thing about LSU is really what they did on the road last year. They were one of the few teams in America that won every single conference game on the road. And so saw that stat. And that's usually uh, – I don't want to say it's impossible. I mean, Wofford clearly did it last year in the Southern Conference as they went undefeated in the league, period. But there's not many teams that go a whole entire year. I mean, not even Gonzaga and a few others that normally are up there. Um, win every single game on the road. I think Duke had three losses on the road last year. So um, Kentucky had a few losses on the road. So LSU being able to go 9-0 on the road tells you a little bit about the style of play and the toughness and sort of, you know, defense travels. I think Coach Forbes loves to say that, and I think that's what LSU does. This obviously in the friendly confines uh, here in the Pete Maravich Center, which I can't wait to see. I did not go to shoot around last night, so I can't wait to see the arena this morning. Um, but I think it's interesting – just the style they play and how well that goes on the road, that certainly does not bode well when you play them in their own facility. Yeah, and they're 6-0 and at home this year. I've only had to play away from home three times. They're 1-2 in those games with, obviously, VCU 
uh, Utah State being the two losses, but being 6-0 and at home, of course, and especially with what you mentioned with Joe Burrow being around perhaps in the building tonight, that's going to draw a big crowd when word circulates. Not that it wouldn't already been a big crowd, but you could, I think, approach um, sellout potential and get fifteen or 20000 Now, that being said, maybe some of the students have already left, and that could be evened out a little bit by the time of year, but certainly we'll see. Coach Forbes thinks that ETSU and LSU have some similarities entering tonight. They have five guys averaging in double figures, and you know they're averaging 85 a game. You know they're going to play pretty fast, and they're going to try to get a lot of possessions. You know we've worked really hard this morning and tonight against that type of thing, and we'll do that again tomorrow. And it's going to only help us in the long run too. And we scored a ball a little bit less, not much less than they do, and we have four guys in double figures and almost five. So it, I think it really come down to who's the tougher team. Uh, who controls the glass and who doesn't turn the ball over. I know those seem to probably be things that probably win a lot of games, but I think in a game like this against LSU, that's going to be really, really important. And I certainly hope that there aren't 20,000 inside the Maravich Center tonight because it holds 13,000, so that probably wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, 9,204 is what they're averaging for home attendance, so we'll see how that looks. About two-thirds full so far coming into tonight. What do you think in terms of similarities for ETSU versus LSU? Do you think that that's a good thing if there are indeed uh, similarities? Do you think that's something that could benefit ETSU or something that could detract from their ability to win the game tonight? Well, I, that's a good question, uh, and I think a little bit of familiar, familiarity would be good for ETSU. It's something they've seen before. I think the pressing thing, uh, you know, he, he said it, but the undertone there was basically UNCG is going to press and need to be able to handle It's a different press, but it's still a press, right? It's still how do you handle the ball. They still want to force turnovers and do whatever. So I think uh, playing the style against LSU is going to help down the road. I think that's sort of what he kind of hinted out without really coming out and saying it. And uh, I think how they handle the press uh, is going to be just everything in this game. I think it's 100% going to determine, you know, well, what's going to happen. If it's going to be like North Dakota State where they turn it over and all those layups are happening and North Dakota State wasn't even pressing. So that's going to be there. But the, the similar styles, I think, hey, is good. I think ETSU – um, usually plays well against similar styles, uh, and so I, I think that's not that big a deal. I think it's still football season, just being around town here right now, right? I mean, they're going to play a playoff game soon. Um, the front page was three stories on uh, e, uh, on almost said ETSU football and LSU football, wow. and, and then one on a su- Southern um, University. They're playing uh, one of their Heritage Bowl games. And then two or three pages later, it's uh, ETSU basketball, LSU. <laughs> so um, I think clearly there's still, when your team is competing for a national championship, playing that, coming off uh, all the accolades they're getting. One of the stories was on Coach Orjuan and getting all the love that he got for AP Coach of the Year and some other things with the Heisman. So it's just football season right now. So I don't anywhere think it's going to be close to a sellout. And, and students are out, but a lot of those people are – making plans to go to Atlanta, I believe, is where the uh, matchup is uh, that they're going to have with Oklahoma. And so there's a lot of talk about that. So I think there will be some students there, but school is out. Uh, I just don't think there's going to be a packed house. I think it's just, you know, it's going to be eight or 9,000 about what they've probably been averaging. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out from there. But I don't foresee um, the environment being too overwhelming compared to what some of the other places that they played in. Let's dive into keys with Coach Forbes. Well, I think it's a great opportunity to play a team that be one of the best teams in the SEC and SCA tournament team. You know, will they be nationally ranked? Who knows? But I think it's a great test for us at this point. About a month removed from when we played at Kansas, we're ready for the challenge. Our team's ready for the challenge, and we look, we're looking forward to going down there and playing. And you know, we're going down there to win. And we know what we have to do. We just have to do it. And uh, if we can get, it, if we can do the things to take care of the ball and rebound the ball, we'll have a good chance to win. This is all sound from the ETSU Radio Coaches Show on Monday night when he joined you at Wild One Cafe before you left. I think the point about turnovers is really big. This is not a particularly careful LSU team. They've turned it over 15.1 times per game. That's 274th in the country. They also, as we mentioned, don't shoot the three very well. In terms of attempts, they're at 277, so they don't shoot a lot of them. And as we mentioned a bit 
uh, earlier. They don't necessarily make a lot of them either. 215th in the country in three-point field goal percentage. And, of course, we talked about rebounding. So I think that Coach hit on some key points there, turnovers, rebounding. Um, in terms of turnover margin, uh, LSU's in the negative this year. So there are some opportunities to be had, and I think the key statement there from Coach was, we know what we got to do, we just have to go and do it. And that, to me... A, it tells me that he's very confident you know, in the ability to win the game. I'm very confident. I think a lot of ETSU fans are very confident in the ability to win the game, but execution-wise. like, So it sounds like the preparation has been there. He feels good about where the team is after coming back from finals and really hitting it hard these last five or six days in terms of practice and um, two-a-days and being able to focus all on basketball. As you mentioned in segment one, that 20-hour rule is no longer around because the classes are out and you can do two-a-days. You can really... Um, work on your fundamentals, stuff that Coach Forbes has talked about, you know, focus on what you need to get better at, lockdown defense, those kind of things. So I look at what Coach Forbes' keys are, and I look at the stat sheet, and to me it seems like he's identified some really major areas where the Bucks can take advantage. Yeah, I, I think it, it really comes down to the two things, and you look at the, the losses this year for ETSU, the Kansas, North Dakota State, the, the big things were the turnovers. And ETSU does a great job of turning people over and getting points off turnovers. And the two times they really struggled in that were the two times that they got beat. And I think it, it does come down to very simple things as far as uh, hanging on to the basketball, I think rebounding. I think the problem could be, and Skylar Mays has a couple of outburst games in his career where he'll hit four or five threes. Mm. If he has one of those games or another teammate has those threes go down early and the Bucks don't defend the three as well as they have before, then I could see that becoming an issue for ETSU because if LSU, let's say you hang on to the basketball and your rebound, the two most important keys, but then all of a sudden you're leaving guys wide open for right. three, and all of a sudden they're, they're shooting 50% for the game, and even if it's a low number of six for 12 or seven for 14, still I think that's going to be a tremendous advantage to LSU. And then I think the other thing he didn't touch on, but free throw shooting has been much better for ETSU, and that has to continue in this game as well. In a game like this, you can't leave freebies, um, you know, too many out there. Are you you going to shoot 100%? No, almost. I mean, it's very rare that any team shoots 100% in the game. But can you shoot 80% or more, 75% or more? Can you stay there? as opposed to some of the games where we've seen ETSU at 50% or 60%, you're going, oh, man, if you just hit five, six more of those, right? So um, Kansas is probably a great example of that. If they hit just a few more of those and got back into it, you know, that would have been an opportunity. The difference North Coast State really wasn't free those other things. But I, I think there's sort of, for me, four tones that you need to look at underlying uh, storylines. I think the any hit on it, the two most important would be don't turn it over, rebounding, then can you keep LSU who's not a good three-point shooting team from just getting hot out there? And then can you either attempt nearly the same number of free throws as LSU? You probably won't because you're playing SEC school and you sort of know that going into it. But can you make your free throws? I think that's the thing you can control when you do go to the free throw line. Can you make those? So that's the four important things for me. I don't know if you have anything different. Well, if you buy into my theory that this game's a lot like the Kansas one and Kansas and LSU's profiles really fit each other uh, to a loose extent, I think. I'm not saying they're exactly the same team, but you heard in segment one kind of how I laid it out. Um, you know, if you played Kansas tight, which you did. You know, you were within five or six minutes to go. And if you think the teams are relatively similar, looking at how that game unfolded, Kansas shot 56% from the floor, which is far and away uh, the best for an ETSU opponent this year against them. The only team that shot about 50%. They did go 1 of 14 from outside. Let's not forget that. ETSU defended the arc really well, 14 of 18 from the line, you know, pretty good percentage. Um, and then you look at the 14 steals. You know, 14 steals for Kansas, took the ball away from the box, and obviously turnovers hurt them then. Um, of course, Yudoka Azabuke hurt them then because uh, he pretty much hurts uh, everybody, uh, it seems like. ETSU wasn't necessarily dominated on the glass. Um, Jerome Rodriguez had his you know 10 rebounds, and actually ETSU ended up being plus one in that game. So rebound really wasn't a massive thing. Then you go to the North Dakota State game, and you look at how that unfolded and worked out for the Bison, and it was totally different, right? Because they hit eight threes, you know, which is tied for second in terms of most hit against the Bucks this year. Shot 38%. That's second by itself against ETSU from beyond the arc. 26 of 30 from the line. 
I mean, 26 of 30, they hit their free throws. They took care of business, and they also forced ETSU into mistakes. Nine steals against the Bucks. That's the second most ETSU has had taken away from them, and of course, Kansas is being the other. So, yeah, it really is when you look at how games have gone and where the results have been in the positive versus the negative for the Bucks. It, it's easily identifiable, you know, and it's not necessarily going to be ETSU is going to get beat from the floor, from the two-point arc, or the three-point arc, or the free-throw line. That could happen um, on a given night in any of the three areas, right? Because that's what North Dakota State did from the free-throw line and outside. Kansas did it from the field. Um, But you look at, you know, taking care of the ball. That's ever-present. I mean, that has to be a thing. And against a rebounding team as good as LSU, if you can just keep it within a couple of rebounds either way, I think you've done an excellent job. You know, the Bucks I think, are plus seven this year on the glass with LSU being plus ten. If you can keep it to three one way or another, I think you've done fantastically and you've given yourself a chance. So, no, I think you're right. I mean, that's a long-winded way, way of me saying I think you're right. Um, it's just always interesting to me to look at how losses play out. Um, and if there are similarities there, and, and there's a couple, you know, certainly taking care of the ball is the big one. And then it's interesting to see offensively how teams go about their business against the Bucks and have success. And I'll be very interested to see defensively how ETSU responds in what may not be the most hostile of environments that they face. Certainly Allen Fieldhouse um, is that <laughs> and will probably always be that for any team that steps in there. But um, if there is a bigger crowd than normal, if it's a regular crowd, the Bucks still have to keep their wits about them play under control uh, and realize that this team isn't that far out of their echelon I don't think you know don't be intimidated and it doesn't see it doesn't seem like a team that is easily intimidated so um, yeah ton of keys to be able to focus on but if you rebound take care of the ball and then like you said you know hit your free throws I think it'd be in pretty good shape yeah I, I think it would be a good day for ETSU if they can do all of that at least it gives themselves a chance and you you play these games you only need one outlier to go the other way and then certainly uh, it could be a long day for your squad. So if ETSU can just keep up with the sort of the keys and, and stay around there, then I think ETSU's got a great shot. You uh, want to hear from Will Wade? I do. I was going to say, why don't we transition to hear from Coach Wade what he had to say. Boom. Big week ahead starts with East Tennessee. Very, very good ball club. One of their losses is at Kansas. They're an elite, elite offensive team. They have one of the top 35 offenses in the entire country. Their offense performed well against Kansas. Their offense was better against Kansas than BYU, Colorado, and Duke on a points-per-possession basis. So they've gotten a very efficient offense. They shoot it well from three. They're top 40 in the country in three-point percentage. So it's going to be a big, big uh, challenge for us and a chance for us to enhance our resume. We've got to get off to faster starts. Team caliber of East Tennessee State, you're not going to be able to dig yourself out of that hole like we were able to against New Orleans and, and even Northwestern there for a little bit. So I think we've practiced well. We're getting better. Hopefully it'll show on uh, Wednesday. Give Coach a chance to expand on his thoughts on those bad starts. We're not as locked in mentally and as focused mentally as we need to. We give up way too many easy baskets off of scouting reports early in the game. And so we've got to be more locked in mentally to what we're doing. We've got to be more locked into our game plan and, and execute it for a full 40 minutes. That's what we've talked about. We've got to play a full 40 minutes. It's got to be beginning, middle, end, complete game, 40 minutes. It, it can't be 30 minutes, 32 minutes. That's what we've been playing for the most part this year. We've got to take that next step and, and play complete games. That means executing, being focused, being locked in with our attention to detail beginning middle end and that's from the jump to the last possession one thing I'm going to pick out from those bites he talked about ETSU being a very good three-point shooting team against Kansas remember just nine of 30 and if a couple more of those go down and coach Forbes talked about a post game after Kansas how there were some shots where they were open they were looks and if you hit them that really puts some time and score pressure on the Jayhawks and really could have changed the game. 9 of 30 is not what this team is. It's a 38% shooting team from outside. That was 30% that day. If they can get some shots to go, specifically knowing that Kansas isn't one to be able to answer from outside, and if they do it early as well, I'm not saying like you did with Milligan, you can jump all over them and their confidence is going to be destroyed and they're not going to be able to come back. That's clearly not the case. Would never, as much as we say, oh, last game versus this coming game, you know, it's just D2 versus SEC. I mean, there's no comparison. But if you can, much like they did against Milligan, get a strong start, and hop all over the Tigers like you did, Milligan, I think that gives you a huge advantage specifically. We know with shooting, as we've talked about, it's contagious. If you see a couple of those go in, uh, you can have a few others say, okay, rim's looking bigger today. I'm going to lob some up. If those go in, Patrick Good, Trey Boyd, et cetera, um, that would go a long way to pulling this upset. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a long way. I mean, you have to have somebody – 
you know, I think in this situation, the way it's going, I think somebody's got to step – and ETSU's had that this year. You know, it's not necessarily LSU where they've pretty much had a balanced scoring attack the whole time. There's been two guys, maybe three guys score a lot, right, or have their day and sort of go, and everybody kind of figures out who's scoring, and then they kind of play off that. So it's a, it's a little bit of an interesting dynamic how ETSU wants to score the ball and figure out who's got the odd hand as opposed to what LSU does. And that's not saying ETSU can't have five guys in double figures, but I think it's a situation where they've done a good job. Okay, uh, today, you know, UT Martin Patrick Good's having a good day. Let's get him the ball. Okay, Bo Hodges is having a good day. Okay, now it's Trey Boyd's turn. You know, we've seen Lucas Casson and Jeremy Rodriguez. They decide to feed the big fellas down low on certain occasions as well. Davian Williamson's had a game. So I think that's the, the one thing that's a little dangerous that LSU has to prepare for. ETSU, it's a little dangerous too because you know, okay, they got five guys that can score and have been scoring in double figures about every game. It's, it's Actually, I was looking at that while I was listening to the Biden. Uh, Davis has been in double figures in every game they've played. Smart's been in double figures in every game they played. Wofford's been eight of nine. Uh, Mays has been nine of nine. Williams has been eight of nine. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, other than one, one game for a few of those guys, they, they've all been double figures. So they've all been spitting out that. So to me, that, that's that's sort of the interesting matchup is, you know, ETSU, I think that's the strength. Who who do you take away? How do you try to take certain things away? Well, it's difficult because so many guys score, sure. and that's the strength of it. Well, now it's the same thing. It's one of the few things I think that's a little uh, – interesting to see how's ETSU going to stop LSU because they've got several guys now maybe the game plan is okay well maybe we just try not to let these two guys score and see how many points the other guys can score that there's sort of a sort of why I like baseball the game within the game right uh between the, the the pitcher and the hitter and all that it's sort of that way between the two head coaches who are they going to try to take away what are they going to try to do and and maybe it's just as simple as hey we're going to run ETSU off the line. If it's Trey, if it's uh, Patrick, if it's Davian, we're definitely not going to let them shoot to three. They've got to earn it inside. You know, for ETSU, is it a situation where, you know, we're going to pack it inside and make them beat us outside? I, I don't know. We'll just have to wait till the game sort of shapes up that way. But that's the interesting part of that because normally you can look at a roster, I think, and go, okay, well, they've got to, you know, me and you consider and go, ah, I think they got to take these guys away. Right. I think it's difficult for both teams to look at the rosters and go, okay, you know, they may say, well, we can't let Boha just drive. We can't let Trey Boyd hit a three. We can't let uh, Rodriguez catch it on the block. But at some point in time, you're running into four or five things, right? You're not just saying let's take this or that away. And so uh, it would be interesting to see how the teams come out and what they really do think they can try to take away. And in addition, another weapon back for LSU tonight. We're hoping he is. He'll have a minute restriction. You know, we had a little bit of a setback yesterday. He was a little sore yesterday, so we didn't practice. Hopefully he'll be, uh, he'll be ready to go today and then ready to go on Wednesday. But it won't be like he's going to play 30 minutes. So that was on Monday. So a setback yesterday would have been Sunday. Uh, now I'm not sure if he has practiced since, but it sounded pretty confident. As you said, listed as probable, uh, but not going to be that normal workload for uh, Marlon Taylor. Now I'm curious to see coming back from the type of injury that it was, and I'm not sure on specifics on the foot, but anything lower body, I'm always interested to see, especially with an athlete like that. You heard Coach Forbes talk about Marlon Taylor might be one of the best athletes in the country. With an athlete that, like that, how close to 100% is he, and how does it hinder what he usually likes to do? Especially you're talking about a foot and an athlete, right? right. I mean, that, that's one of those things. It's different if it's a shoulder, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not trying to downplay a shoulder, but when you're expecting a guy that's going to be able to run and jump and, and use quickness, right, and that's basically what Taylor's been able to do, now you're talking about that one of his key weapons is, is you know, his two feet, and if one of those are not 100%, what's it look like? So it may be a good idea for them, honestly, to roll him out there and say, okay, here's a three-, four-minute stretch, see how it goes, take him off, and sure. then make it make, you know, and it wouldn't shock me if he plays two, three minutes and comes out quickly. That might be all you see of him. It could be, hey, let's get him out there two, three minutes, break a sweat, get him back off, check it, you know, how do you feel, what's it like, go, and then, uh, you know, get up to that 12 to 15 minute. Uh, and I think that the 15 probably be the max. I mean, uh, and I mean, I'm sure it could fluctuate a minute or two, but my guess is they're 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 looking for – you know, 10 to 12, 15 on the high end minutes just to see what, what he can do. So, and, and it, you know, if he doesn't, if he feels sore, they played this far without him. My guess is they're not going to rush it. If he plays a couple minutes, doesn't feel good. He's not going to rush it. But I think, you know, even I might be able to tell, look, does it look like this, this guy's got it or is this guy not? So I think the first couple minutes will clearly tell what they're, 
going to do with Taylor um, and how they're going to approach him for the rest of this game. And then whatever they do with the rest of the season, I don't think many Buck fans care about except for uh, hopefully LSU will win every game after this point. <laughs> LSU head coach Will Wade, last one from him. Very impressed and complimentary of ETSU coming into tonight. You watch how East Tennessee State cuts and how we cut, and it's, it's night and day how hard East Tennessee State cuts and how they screen and how they come off their staggers and how they curl their staggers. and like It's night and day how much harder they cut and play. Uh, offensively than than we do and so it's like I told our guys we've been relying on our natural gifts and natural talents here for about the last month and it's time we you know we it's great we're talented we've got natural gifts we've got natural talent we've got good players but we've got to execute at a higher level we've got to screen we've got to cut and we've got to continue to value that ball I think about coach Wade when he's talking about those things has specifically early on in games in mind he mentioned earlier the uh, New Orleans game and also the Northwestern State game. Uh, it was 38-30 to 30 at the half in that New Orleans game. Now LSU turned it on the second half, ended up winning by 30-plus. Northwestern State ended up being a 50-point game, 109-59 to 59 in their last time out. It was 19-19 to 19 halfway through the first half. So those starts especially, it seems like, I don't, know, I don't know if it's playing down to their competition, uh, LSU, or what the issue is for that, but it sounds like they're a little bit lackadaisical to start. And I think that's part of the issue when you get to the level as a coach that Will Wade has gotten to. Um, you're in the SEC. You've got a lot of athletes, guys that have relied probably on their talent for a very long time to get by. And when you start trying to put in that work ethic and the effort piece and things that you need to become an elite player at the college level versus just being that athlete that is you know um, going to have spotty success uh, it can be a difficult adjustment period and I don't know if that's exactly what's going on at LSU I don't have eyes in the locker room obviously I'm not through shooter rounds or practices but I think that's the case for a lot of coaches with athletes and naturally gifted talents something that you see a lot more at the higher level certainly with elite talents in the country it seems like Will Wade's struggling a bit with that well I mean when he's you know, I've never been an elite talent, so I struggle sometimes when people talk about Same. that, right? I kind of feel like, you know, you, it's, What's you listen to like? Yeah, you listen to Al Michaels and, uh, you know, Jim Nance and all these other guys, and you listen to me and Mike's podcast, you know, with the amount of we got to work for compared to those guys. So I kind of relate a little bit, I guess, to that aspect of it. But, no, it, it, and he's he is right. There's a, you know, sometimes the danger of playing the games where you're guaranteed wins, they're money games, and all the schools do it, and, and trying to balance when you – bring in a decent team is trying not to lull your team into them knowing because right the the, the kids know right they're, they're, you don't have to look there and say okay you guys versus you and all right we're more athletic right we're the better athletes we've got everything going for us and those guys kind of know ah it's 1919 all right final turn on it's 38 30 okay final turn on the problem is when you run into a game and again vcu did they take that as seriously did they just see utah state and not respect that and and get into a dogfight. You know, will they just look at ETSU and think, well, this is another team with a state on it, so what do we care, and figure it out. So it will be interesting to see. I I do think Coach Wade has done everything he can to either um, play up ETSU or knows that his team could be in for a real dogfight. If something goes south, he can play the, I told you they were really good. I don't don't know. Um, Coach Wade last year was very – the opposite and would take shots at the Southern Conference in particular because Wofford was so highly ranked in NET and they weren't. And he took shots at the SOCON uh, really about, well, the efficiency and, you know, no offense to Wofford, but I coached in Southern Conference. I mean, those teams aren't good. And then it turns out Southern Conference is pretty daggone good. And Wofford was knocking off uh, big-name teams as well. So uh, interesting to see that he's taken a different approach because this time last year he was downplaying all of that. Now – it seems like he's gone the other way. So I don't know if it's a kinder, gentler Will Wade. I don't know if it's uh, everything else that's kind of gone on has turned him or if he's speaking from the heart and concerned about the game. Uh, uh, curious, to, I mean, you will never know because, right, coaches do different types of motivational. Some that are, I don't want to say real, not real, but some are motivated for um, – reasons that you know you need to jack up your team some are motivated because you're like hey nobody's giving this team credit and if we lose this game i need everybody to understand this is a pretty daggone good basketball team and i'd love to think that that's what it is uh, but i'm not sure after reading a lot of his comments last year so we'll, we'll just have to see what it goes either way i think it's good for etsu because those are printed quotes out there about how good etsu is same thing 
when uh, uh, Bill Self in Kansas, before the game and after the game, continue to tout how good ETSU is. I think some of that goes a long way uh, when you talk about the human element and you get to NCAA tournament, whether it's seeding, whether it's at largest, whether it's anything else. I think taking numbers and taking respect from co- high-level coaches that play those teams I think does play a little bit into it. I'm pumped for it. I'm hoping that Will Wade is um, inclined to say all the good things and more that Bill Self did about the Bucks after the Kansas game because that will mean that either it was a very tight contest or ETSU pulled the upset, which, once again, I think is possible and pumped to see how it unfolds. 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame show. Steps out for a timeout. When we come back, one of our favorite segments, new hey, segment this year, Failed Downs. We'll do that after this timeout to your Worm Sam Sidekick on the Buccaneer. It's worth night Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three, fail. 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 Down. Fail. Down. Fail. Down. Fail. 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 Down. It's unbelievable. It's really good. So I have a question before we get into this. The question is. Because on the network, I have really harped on all the guys that have worked before me on trying to do intros and music and things like that. And everybody that's been there has been able to hear what somebody else has done and, and to everyone's credit, outdone them. And so I guess my question is, were you doing that beforehand or was it a fact of you took it as like a personal challenge of everybody else doing things <laughs> and you're like or the fact you just got tired of me yelling about it that's uh, what i want to know well no so i uh i had done um this kind of stuff prior to coming to the buccaneer sports network but this has given me a chance to really dive in let's just say that <laughs> on a week-by-week basis when it comes to santos and the sidekick feature segments like fail downs i really it was just a, a couple of tweaks obviously because here's four downs one two Four, you know, makes sense. So that mm-hmm. just continues to go. It's the exact same thing, just fail downs. But uh, with some of the other more intricate ones, like the mystery guess, if you remember this from last year, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but you know, this one was just one. Can you play Cooper's just uh, because Co- it's my oh, favorite? Do I still have that? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is my favorite Cooper's of all time. Down. Tucked away in the northeast corner of the U.S., there is a small town where tomorrow never comes. A quiet place with a majestic Speaking hall, of talent, a brick-and-mortar <laughs> temple to the American game. No, not that one. <laughs> Welcome to our Cooperstown with Kyle Cooper. Phenomenon. The legend lives on. The legend no, lives on. Uh, no, so, anyway, so anyway, yeah, yeah, basically this one, I was sitting here yesterday uh, doing some stuff for the show and then getting uh, a few notes ready for women's basketball on Friday, and I was like, you know, if we're going to do this, we might as well do it the right way because it's not just a one-off segment. Like, this is too good to just be four downs with some fails mixed in. It's got to be fail downs. I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. I think we uh, – we've last year we had some segments on the show we liked, and uh, we've taken one of the things we liked and made it even better by uh, bringing up people's failures. First down. Oh, whoops. First fail. That's better. <laughs> uh, so we've got – Eli Drinkwitz, and you may have seen this one on social media floating around. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East, a bowl game with class, integrity, and academic excellence. Well, that's what happens when you're only at a place for one year and you apparently don't have time to change the script you were reading yeah. off of. He wasn't going off the top and it was just like a faux pas mentally. He was reading off the script. That, uh, that sounds like something I would do in complete <laughs> fairness, that even though you changed it. Um, so I'm trying to think. One of my first high school jobs, I was doing Tennessee High, and then I went to Dobbins Bennett. And I think the first three games of doing Dobbins Bennett – 
I went to break as the official voice of the Vikings still <laughs> instead of the voice of the Indians and never knew I did it. And I had a card in front of me that I had wrote, voice of the Indians. And so every time uh, the former coach Fred Walton would look at me and go, uh, buddy, you're still saying Vikings now. You're, somebody's going to hang you out of this if you don't, if you don't like, clean it up. I'm like, okay. So I, I kind of feel that way, but clearly I'm not on the scale. I was going to say, what I would probably guess. Or, or is he saying that it's more valuable, the Sun Belt Championship, over the SEC? Wow. That's what I'm going with. Can what? I go there? No. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reprieve for that mistake back in your early days of broadcasting because you're probably being paid, I'm guessing, like $50 a game, where Eli Drinkwitz is being paid multiple millions of dollars to be the new head coach at Missouri after coming over from Appalachian State after one season as the head coach there. I mean, multiple millions versus $50, I think your mistake a bit more forgi- forgivable. I, I agree. I agree. I should be more forgivable. I'm more likable, too, than Eli Drinkwitz from what I hear. So uh, I, I think <laughs> it's funny. It's great for us, but how awful – is that uh, that you go in there, you're trying to make an impression, and not only do you forget what league you're in, but it's it's a le- like it's one thing if he was at NC State, hey, we're going to win the ACC. It's another thing to say you're going to win the Sun Belt. And then he had to backtrack, and he didn't even say the SEC. He just even realized, like, okay, we're just going to win the SEC East. Like it was just all everything about That's that was, was wonderful in its uh, fiery crash that it was. Yeah, complete utter fail. I didn't even think about it that way too. It's like no, 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 not the entire. SEC. Now, we're going to keep our standards reasonable, and if he wanted to keep the standards reasonable, he probably just should have stuck with the Sunbelt. Second fail. Um, earlier this year. Miller driving inside, shoots and scores! Oh, get back on D, get back on D. Great finish with his left hand. They're not going to call timeout. No fouls. Bray for the win. Oh, Thanks you're kidding me! Banks it in! Oh, my! Harold Bray! Banks it in oh, from my half court! Montana State wins it. Oh, UNCG. Miller into the paint, gathers himself, goes up, rolls in. Get back on D now. Spartans got burnt with a last-second shot before. Two seconds left. Johnson heaves it. Oh, he made it. Nope. Got another one. (laughs) You got to be kidding me. (laughs) This is my favorite part. Everyone that likes Johnson. At the buzzer. Those sound very similar. I mean, to get beat from beyond half court twice in a non-conference season. Absolutely. Let me tell you, I I do feel sorry. To get beat by half court heave once is something. Twice. I mean, and the first time, I'll say this, they did not do a very good job of getting back. Uh, Miller was more concerned about flexing and giving hand signs and everything than getting back. The second time, they, they realized, hey, we got beat on this earlier. And so they even had a hand in the face. But the disheartening of the color analyst given the nope, and then it goes in right before is just. Uh, and it clearly, in case you don't know, ESPN3 people are hired from UNCG, and they yes. double it on the radio. So yeah. it's a great down-the-middle call if you're, if you're <laughs> wanting that. But that uh, unbelievable way. And the bad thing is it's bad for the league. And that's the only thing because, you know, even if one of those – don't work out your way. And, and you can look at it this way. I mean, Radford missed a, a three to win the game that didn't go down. So sometimes it evens out. And so it, it, it's at least even out one game because you could say, well, okay, they didn't lose on a half-court heave, but Radford had a legitimate three-point shot not go down to win the game when they were down 10 with like two minutes to go. And UNCG held on to that. So you could look at it and say, okay, do you trade a half-court heave, but you lose that game. Either way – NC State would have been a nice another ACC win considering what Wofford did to North Carolina and would have had an opportunity to to pick up a, a win there, especially after UNCG had beaten Georgetown. But, you know, you're looking at UNCG, they lost 12 at Kansas, like ETSU, yep. but two half-court heaves. Montana State and NC State. Oh, and at home. They lost both at home. One in Fleming and one in the arena. Oh, that was tough. Bigger fail. UNCG – on those two buzzer beaters from half court going against them or the color analyst saying nope and then having to go in. Do I blame him? This is probably more of a pros versus J segment because we could really dive into the psychology behind why the analyst was like, I'm going to volunteer this information when it's in midair. Nope. I think it was probably because he's like, I've seen this once. There's no way we're going to see it again, even though it looked like it was online. And the second one, yeah, by the way, was, the was like thing. nothing but net. It, it was not banked in nothing. It was right down Broadway, and he still gave the nope. I just uh, – it's, it's so funny because 
I'm sitting there trying to put myself in his shoes because you want to wish it out. And I, listen, I've I've been there where you can hear the I don't know if I've said no, but the dejection of I've said I think we have a comment where I don't I don't think it's online. I think it was the Furman game where I don't think it's going to go or something like that. So clearly I've done similar to the nope uh, myself. Yeah, so but that's actually not worked crushing, out, right? Like, right. I'm not, I'm not crushing. I'm just trying to figure out, did he think, because it was on the opposite end of where he was from, the, the uh, color analyst, he was on the flip side of the court. So I'm wondering, did he think it was awful? I mean, because that thing was true. Oh, yeah. I mean, every part <laughs> squared up. So I couldn't figure out, did he think it was short? I mean, he didn't say, which is the br- brilliant part. He didn't say it was short, but, I mean, it was, it was drilled. I mean, it was money and spectacular. Poor UNCG, except it's UNCG, so I don't feel bad. Third fail. All right. Who failed more in Oakland this past weekend? The Raiders blowing a 16-13 lead at home to the Jaguars of all teams. The refs, in stopping the clock before the two-minute warning when it was clear Derek Carr slid down inbounds. If it would have been the right ruling, by the way, it would have allowed the Raiders to run the clock to 40 seconds before taking a field goal attempt. Then three plays later, was it Tyrell Williams in a third down situation, dropping what would have been a first down to seal the game. Was it field goal kicker Daniel Carlson, who missed a 50-yarder with 148 left, got a second chance after a running into the kicker penalty from 45, missed that too, allowing Jacksonville to take over on the 35. Was it the Oakland defense for letting Gardner Minshew march down the field 65 yards over one minute and 13 seconds to take the lead 20-16? to Or was it the fans? at the end, for throwing trash and booing Derek Carr off the field in the Raiders' last ever game in Oakland. Boy, I'm... A lot of I was options to, on this I was, I was, I was trying story. to take some notes. Give me the shorthand again, because I was trying to write all these down. But so, the refs for the horrible call on the Derek Carr slide, where he sure. was clearly down in bounds. They ruled him out of bounds. Uh, Tyrell Williams dropping the third down that would have sealed the game. It was like third and 11. And yeah, I remember that play. I was oh, this. Gosh. Daniel Carlson, the multiple misses, though only yes, one that, of them counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's where I want to – I don't know. <laughs> the, but right because, because So, he missed one. Yeah. And, and, again, there was, there was the, the running in the kicker, and it was a long delay. Were they going to call it? Were they not? I ended up watching the end of this game for whatever reason. Nobody in America watched it but me. And <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a long delay. And then it was like, okay, five yards. And I was like, all right, so we're going to line back up. And you're sitting there going, okay, well, 97% of the time they hit these, right? This is a, you get the opportunity. It's five yards closer. You've already kicked the one. you come. And that one was further left than the one before. And so you're like, oh, let's go. And then Jacksonville just came right down the field. And there was a couple missed tackles. There was a couple guys running wide open. Roughing the passer penalty. Th- <clears throat> the roughing the passer. But I'm just I'm, – there were two blown coverages where, like, they threw the little uh, crossing route underneath and, like, the guy ran for like twenty yards with nobody being around him. Like, yeah. It was like, where in the world's everybody at? Yeah. Like, like what? Like, how many guys do you think they have running out there? So, there's a lot to go with that. The fans would be my second one, really. And, and and I, I think it's more because it was their last. That's <laughs> the last impression of Oakland. Isn't that so perfect though? So fitting for Oakland. It is, and that's why I kind of think it is. So it's not really. I'm not really. It's weird. I'm not really crushing fans for. For being jack wagons, I'm, I'm kind of going. It's 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 the if if a ever a fan base was going to close out a stadium a certain way, I feel like Oakland did it the way they should have. Throwing garbage. <laughs> I, 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 that's just okay. Just so how do you like that answer? Literal throwing garbage because the team has been such garbage. Uh, that is a good answer. I blame everyone but the fans simply because Oakland. How do you screw that up in the last ever game there? But as you said, very fitting. Fourth fail. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Ryan Tannehill, 25 points. Ezekiel Elliott, 28 and a half points. Dalvin Cook, four and a half points. Melvin Gordon, three and a half points. Austin Eckler, nine and a half points. Kareem Hunt, 11 points. 49ers defense, five points. Justin Tucker, three points. Sound familiar? Did you, did you read the bench? <laughs> Matt Ryan, 18 points. Tyrell Williams, 11 points. Terry McLaurin, 21 and a half points. Jay Sandos' fantasy football team, after going 12-1 and in the regular season, running away with the division and the league in the semifinals last week, upset by a 7-6, second in the West, David Fox-led team, who's a member of the Sports Information Department here at ETSU. 107-90, the king is dead, the regular season matters not, you have to sit out while the championship is played this weekend. Fail, 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 fail. I uh, I don't really want to talk about it. It's a very emotional time for me right now. Oh, the, man. Uh, the the fact that I was winning games by like 
20 a million. points in our league yep. was was incredible because the scoring's so uh, different. But the when Delvin Cook, who I should have known because he's a Viking and they're all weak-minded <laughs> people, uh, went out with yet another injury for the third straight week, and I all I I sat there and I remember one of the first times I've ever done this, I uh, tweeted a fantasy uh, decision to a fantasy guru. And they tweeted back at me, Williams over Cook. I still play Cook. So it's even a worse Wow, they now. said Williams over Cook. Yeah. That would have been brilliant. Yeah. 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 Or not Williams. I'm sorry. Uh, McLaurin. McLaurin uh, over Cook yeah. would have been more yeah. brilliant. Oh. Yeah. And that yeah, would have won you. That would have won and, you 107 and, and, and a half to 107. They did not like the matchup for Cook to begin with. And they also had mentioned the fact that he had left the two previous games with an injury. So they they had predicted he would leave again, and it was really more about that, the fact that they said they didn't think he would finish the game, so the opportunities for touches weren't going to be there oh. as opposed to that. Um, uh, they also gave me another one, uh, but uh, I ended up playing Hunt. Hunt scored more than whoever else they gave me. But anyways, so uh, I even, ha- even sought a little advice for the first time wow. this year and still went with what got me to the uh, <laughs> where I was and a typical, uh, as most – uh, my fantasy people know a typical Jay Sandoz finishing with a dud, and the season is over. And then I do like that I have I've refused once I lose, I don't care about fantasy don't anymore. Set the lineup, yeah, right. And I and whoever I'm playing next has already been wearing me out about the third place game. I've never heard anybody ever talk more trash about a third place game. In which I don't – I may bench all my guys. That's how important I think that is. Well, so. knowing who it is in your third-place matchup, I'm not surprised. Can, that can, can you bring up one back. thing, too? Sure. All four teams in the semifinals were from the powerful West Division. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not sure. Which, is, which, is, the, which not, is the non-Mike Gallagher division and all the <laughs> I won my division. You I did win my division, to be fair, but you're right. It was a very weak division. My team was fraudulent the entire year and actually lost in the quarterfinals. So, of course, can, on this side I of the add microphone. A fifth down? Oh, okay, go ahead. I just want to add a fifth down. <laughs> That you had openly told Fifth Fail that you'd openly told people that you were preparing this grand intro for when you stopped my undefeated streak, and then you <laughs> lost, and I heard nothing. It was crickets. Well, I'm just wondering, that, is, that, is that a fail down? Well, I didn't lose because I beat you in the regular season and did end your undefeated streak, but I never got to the playoffs to the point of being able to face you, uh, which we were on opposite sides. We were both division winners, opposite sides of the bracket, so I, we would have had to make the championship. Clearly, neither of us did. I just want to go over this again because I, I think I was wrong by one point. If you would have played McLaurin over Cook, you would have tied. 107 to 107, and I don't know what happens in ties. I'm the commissioner of this league. I have no idea what happens in ties in the playoffs. I don't know if it goes to bench points, um, but to be fair, if we're playing the bench game, uh, David Fox did bench Jameis Winston, who scored 33 to Carson Wentz's 20. Oh, yeah. No, no. And I'm never a fan of that. I'm just more uh, upset, I guess. I just love that you asked for advice and then said, screw your advice. That's that's what I do. That's what I do. Well done. I went out on my terms, Mike. I like fail downs. You can't respect that? Fail downs are one of my favorites. Well, you were going to go down one way or another, so no, no, on your no, own no, terms no, no, is probably no. the best you, way. You only like fail downs when you get to work in a Jay Santos. Well, fail downs. I was thinking about the fourth down, and I was like, or the fourth fail, and I was like, ah, I'm just not sure which way to go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the best thing is sitting right in front of me. You know, you, know, you kind of got to think less sometimes, as you know. You got to think less sometimes and overthink something, and yeah. this one was just right in a silver plan. And uh, as you should have. As you should have. Yeah. I give you credit for that. Okay, I'm going to talk back a little later today. Yes, do that. Well, we'll put that up, uh, and then we'll talk Friday. We'll recap this LSU game, talk about women's men's basketball coming up over the weekend, and our bowl predictions. All that more. Santos and the sidekick. Mike, appreciate it. You put it up here, buddy. I will uh, try to bring home a dub tonight. I'll talk to you on the broadcast. Go Bucks. See ya. Cowboy up and go play ball.